Welcome to the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts about democracy, civic engagement, and civil discourse. In this feed, you will find a sampling of episodes from our podcast and the Democracy Group, as well as recordings from our events. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please visit democracygroup.org to find more like this. Now let's get to our featured episode. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Kara ong I'm Logan Ziegler, Program Coordinator with JMU Civic. My name is Mary Tolentino. I'm a junior Woodson Martin Democracy Fellow at the Center. And this is Abraham Goldberg, Director of JMU Civic and Faculty Member of Political Science here at James Madison University. In this episode, we discuss democratic erosion globally, as well as trends to strengthen democracy with Dr. Kevin Casasamora, the Secretary General of International IDEA, an intergovernmental organization based in Stockholm that works to support and strengthen democratic institutions and processes around the world. We invite you to join the conversation with us on social media, at JMU Civic on Twitter and Facebook, and at JMU Duke's Vote on Instagram. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Casa Zamora, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters. I wonder if you can start by sharing what led you to global public service. Well, thank you so much for, for having me here. It's a great opportunity to have this, this conversation. Uh, look, this happened almost, I should say, by, by chance, though not entirely. I, uh, I spent some time in government in Costa Rica, and then I moved to Washington, D.C., and I spent a number of years at the, at the Brookings Institution working on, generally speaking, a, issues connected to democratic governance writ large um, and working on Latin America in particular. So in the, in the course of doing that, I, I ended up establishing contact with the Organization of American States, which is the body that the international organization that groups all the countries in the Western Hemisphere, including the, the United States, and that is formally committed to the defense of democracy. The OAS is the, you know, plays a, a role as, uh, as the grantor of the Inter-American Democratic Charter. So it plays a you know, a, a rather important role in discussions related to democracy in in the Western Hemisphere. So, uh, after a number of years at the Brookings, I I got an offer to go to the OAS, and uh, and I was put in charge there of the political shop, and that meant uh, working on democracy-related issues in the in the hemisphere, and that meant being in charge of the election observation operation of the OAS, which is a fairly robust operation, but also issues connected to the peace process in Colombia and also issues connected to civil registry in Haiti and also, I mean, and, and it was really a, a really broad remit. 
And, and I enjoyed it massively, uh, you know, having the opportunity to be in close contact with the region, but also uh, working to support democracy in the, in the, in the region, uh, you know, Latin America being a, a region with a tumultuous political history that only recently adopted democracy as a as a as a way of life and as a way of running its its uh, its politics uh, i think it's a it's a worthy pursuit and uh, and i enjoyed it massively so years later um i i had the the opportunity to join international idea which is a an intergovernmental organization headquartered in Sweden that is what I mean just like the OAS formally committed to to the defense and advancement of democracy this time globally I mean I mean international idea has 33 member states from all regions and a sole mandate to work on on democracy related issues namely electoral processes political parties and, and participation, gender issues as applied to politics, a constitution, a building processes, that kind of thing, the regulation of money in politics. So I really enjoyed the, the opportunity of joining this organization and, and, and doing pretty similar work that I, you know, to the work that I was doing at the OAS. Only this time globally, at a more pressing time for democracy too. Uh, you know what we've seen over the past uh, few years is uh, it's pretty disturbing in terms of the headwinds that democracy is facing uh, globally. So it's a good moment to be working on these issues uh, globally. The challenges to democracy are global in nature and call for a global multilateral response. And that's exactly what International IDEA provides. And by the way, International IDEA stands for International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance. I really enjoyed enjoy working on democracy issues in a multilateral setting and, and, and think it's, it's important at this point in time. Thank you for sharing about your experience. And that's actually perfect that you touch on democracy because our next question is, how do you define democracy? The concept of democracy for me is connected to three foundational issues. Number one, the popular control over government. That's the, the question of the people being the source of the legitimate power in a legitimate political power in a society. Number two, equality in the exercise of that control. That the, the magic of democracy, and I say the, world, the word magic in a deliberate way because it's something that runs very much the, the grain of human history. The magic of democracy is that it creates a sphere of citizenship in which we happen to be all equal in rights. That's extraordinary, you know, from any standpoint, because the norm for most of human history has been that people are not, do not regard 
only regard as equals those that look like them, that pray to the same God, that uh, share a number of very visible attributes. Here we have a construct a, in which we are all regarded as equals because we happen to share the same rights. And number three, and this is crucial for me, it's a political system in which the exercise of power is subject to a number of checks and, and balances. Uh, where power, even when originates in the people, it's subject to, to checks. It's not unlimited. There's a group of rights and principles that define the scope of the legitimate action of the state. So those three foundational notions uh, are, for me, what define uh, a, a democratic system worthy of the name. Thank you. We're having this conversation as democracy is facing some real challenges, both here in the United States as well as globally. And I'm curious if you can speak to how you conceive of the challenges facing democracy around the world, particularly as global conflicts such as the war on terror and the COVID-19 pandemic have led to the erosion of civil liberties, the postponement of elections, and the spread of disinformation campaigns. And then I'm also hoping you can share with us what needs to be done to support democracy around the world in the face of authoritarian headwinds? You know, the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that the, the headwinds that democracy is facing globally are arguably the strongest that we've seen since the 1930s. So the plight is real. And I could give you a hundred different indicators, but, but, but you know the story. I mean, the, I'll give you one factoid nonetheless. International Idea publishes every two years a, a, what we call the Global State of Democracy Report. It's kind of our flagship report. Actually, you know, in a bit of self-promotion, I would say that a, our third report will come out a, next month. So hopefully you'll be interested in seeing what, what it has to say about all these this, this things. It's a fairly robust piece of research. And in this report, we use a fairly comprehensive conceptual framework that unpacks democracy into 29 attributes. And one of the concepts that we use in the report is that of democratic erosion. And for us, democratic erosion is when you see a decline in any one of those 29 attributes in a country, a decline that is a statistically significant over a period of five years. There's a lot of data that is involved in, in, in this. So a decline in one of the 29 attributes over a period of five years. Um, 10 years ago, 12% of democracies in the world were experiencing democratic erosion so defined. Nowadays, 43% of democracies around the world are experiencing democratic erosion so defined. So the 
the problem is real. And, 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 and let me give you a little bit more information even. The, the, uh, there's one kind of, of particularly acute kind of democratic erosion, which is what we call democratic backsliding, which alludes to, the, to the, the, the kind of situation in which usually democratically elected governments in a deliberate, systematic way, subvert basic democratic tenets, which is something that we are seeing across the world, you know, in places like Turkey, like uh, Venezuela, like uh, uh, Hungary, the list is long. Well, it so happens that democratic backsliding is happening in very large and important countries around the world. Uh, including the likes of India, Brazil, the United States. So th the implication of this is that over a quarter of the world's population uh, is living in democratically backsliding countries. When you add up that to the proportion of the global population that live under straight authoritarian regimes or hybrid regimes of, of different kinds, we're talking about 70% of the population in the world. So the, the, the problem is, is very real. Now, what's behind this? And it, well, I spent some time thinking about this and, and in the end, I, I came to two sets of problems that I think are, are vital to understand this story. I mean, the, the first problem is what I would call the, the disappearing democratic polis, which is the notion that democratic societies are being torn apart by very powerful forces. A polarization is an obvious one, uh, and you cannot speak about polarization without mentioning the, the profoundly disturbing role that social media is playing in all this. But that's not the only centrifugal force. There's, there's also inequality. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we are, I mean, most countries find themselves in a situation in which it's very difficult to find a common project for society as a whole. Um, and to this, we have to add to the political polarization and inequality that rent asunder uh, societies, uh, you have to add the, the, the crisis of the of the institutions that were support that, that were supposed to aggregate preferences and interest and here i'm talking particularly about political parties which are in this terrible crisis whatever you see you know whatever you uh, you look um, political parties are in terrible shape so all those things add to this notion that democratic communities are being rendered weaker, and democracies are being rendered weaker as a result. Um, so that's one set of problems. And then you have a second set of problems, 
that for lack of a better term, I would call the loss of faith in liberal values. And the, and the, the origins of this loss of faith uh, are of, of different kind. You have, a, at the origin of this, you have certain phenomena that are more local in nature. Uh, for instance, the widespread perception that democracies are not a, are not responding to social expectations in, a, in an efficacious way that in a way social expectations are growing exponentially while the ability of democracies to respond to those expectations is not growing at all. Another local source of this loss of faith in liberal values is, is corruption that is really having a destructive effect on democratic legitimacy globally. And then you have sources of this loss of faith that are more international in nature. And here you have to, to make reference to the, to what, you know, the, the experience of the, the, the example set by Western powers, Western democratic powers over the past 20 years, which has not been a happy one. Uh, you know, things like uh, the war in Iraq, things like the financial crisis of 08 and 09, uh, the near-death experience in the U.S. with Donald Trump. Uh, all those things have had a terrible effect in terms of the soft power, uh, the power of the example of Western democratic uh, countries. Um, so the, the, the net, I mean, and, and all this is happening, by the way, at a moment in time when you have, at the, at the same time, you have credible competitors to democracy emerging in other parts of the world. So you have, you know, the weakening of the example of democracies internationally, but you also have the emergence of credible competitors to democracy in a way that was not the case, say, 30 years ago. And the, the, the net result of all this is a situation in which people are more willing to give up on democracy. And when they do, the autocrats that emerge pay less of a price for their democratic transgressions. Uh, so it, it's a it's a it's a complicated story to uh, to turn around, uh, but try we must. The Biden administration is preparing in early December a summit to promote democracy. From your perspective, what lessons should we take from efforts led by Western capitalist and global North countries? to promote democracy around the world? And are there exemplars outside of Western society for their commitment to human rights and the rule of law that Washington should be learning from? This is a very interesting question because, I mean, on the one hand, I commend the Biden administration for giving the, the relevance that 
they're given to the to the issue of of democracy and the issue of the health of democracy globally and i i happen to think that the the upcoming summit for democracy is a very good opportunity to kick off a global conversation about the state of democracy and what to do about it um, so that part is is very good now the interesting thing here is that the conversation that we need to have about democracy globally is a conversation that should be infused with humility uh, as i i read a you know some time ago a, a wonderful article by 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 tom carothers who is a a great expert a, a great expert on on these issues And he used a, a phrase that I thought was wonderful. Uh, you know, there's, there's no sun in the solar system of democracy anymore. Uh, we are all a bunch of planets, some larger than others, uh, trying to avoid being uh, sucked into a black hole. That's what we are. And we need to approach this discussion about the global health of democracy with a sense of humility, with the notion that there are no hegemonic models of democracy anymore, and that we can truly learn from each other. And, and, and that's what you know, an organization like International Idea tries to do. I mean, we try to tease out the best practices from democracies out there and disseminate those good practices about electoral processes, constitution building processes, and so on and so forth. It, it, well, that's the kind of discussion that we need to have. And it's a discussion that it, my impression is that it used to be very much dominated by the example of the U.S. in good and bad ways. I mean, in the U.S. model of democracy was uh, promoted globally in good ways, but also in many cases it was imposed, you know, in, a, in often a heavy-handed way in, in other places. Well, it, it, it's difficult to make the case for that uh, at this point. Yeah, I think the, the soul-searching that needs to happen in the, in, the, in the U.S. about where and how democracy has gone astray in the U.S. is now a very important part of this global discussion. So I think, I think this is good. I think we can have a more plural conversation about democracy than used to be the case, and we should celebrate that. And I, I'm hoping that the summit will reflect a, this plural spirit in the in the discussion i think you know fundamentally what we what we need to do uh, to protect democracy and to advance the cause of democracy is i mean we need to create we need to collaborate with a spirit of humility with a sense of urgency and with the intention of creating of, of creating a, a truly global network To protect democracy. And it's a network that is not just uh, made up 
of governments. It's a network that should include civil society organizations in a very prominent way, that should include academia, that should include you know, a number of actors that have a, a role to play in, the, in, in this process of a, finding ways to protect democracy, but also to advance democracy a, in a in a in, in a good way, because quite frankly, you know, particularly after we've seen after what we've seen during the during the pandemic, I have the impression that it, this is the moment to be bold, to rethink democracy, to rethink social contracts in a very fundamental in a very fundamental way. I mean, when you think about, I mean, I was I was talking before about this mismatch between social expectations and the performance of democratic institutions. Well, I mean, a, other than the emergence of political parties, the basic setup of our democratic institutions hasn't really changed for 200 years. So we shouldn't be that surprised that that setup is failing to meet expectations. So this is the time to be bold, and I certainly hope that it is with that spirit that we approach this opportunity that we now have as a result of the summit to have this global conversation. As, as you know, this year, the United States Capitol experienced a violent attack on January 6, 2021, that was incited by a sitting president of the United States during a joint session of Congress that was certifying the results to make Joe Biden the next president of the United States. From your experience working with countries around the globe, how have the events in the United States been perceived? And how has the events of January 6th and and subsequently events affected the United States' standing in terms of its ability to promote democracy? I'm deeply concerned about the the health of U.S. democracy. Uh, And I'm not alone on that one. Uh, I'm deeply concerned for for the sake of U.S. democracy itself, but also for the impact that that can have uh, on democracy globally. One of the issues that is a not recognized enough, I think, is that the global expansion of democracy over the past, say, 60 years, the past half a century, when democracy really, in a way, became the the global norm, it owed a lot to the fact that the preeminent power in the world was a liberal democracy, namely the US. And we can have a very long conversation about the hypocrisies embedded in in US foreign policy when it went about promoting democracy. I mean, there was a lot of that, but the net effect was, I would claim with very little doubt, was a positive one. Uh, the, exp- the global expansion of democracy owes a lot to the U.S. Now, uh, you have two things 
happening or potentially happening. It would be a very different story for those of us working to advance the cause of democracy globally if the preeminent power in the world is not a liberal democracy anymore. Either because liberal democracy falters in a visible way as it is in the U.S., or because the preeminent global power is an authoritarian system like China. In either case, in either case, one of the fundamental drivers of the global expansion of democracy would be lost. And the work needed to advance the cause of democracy will become twice as hard. What it protects democracy is the, uh, the willingness of citizens to remain engaged, the willingness of citizens to exercise self-restraint in the way they, uh, they act, the, the willingness of political leaders to be true to the democratic creed, uh, so it's all those things that matter for the protection of democracy and matter every single day. And it's all, I mean, truth be told, it's also institutional design. And I think institutional design was a big part of what uh, uh, it protected democracy in the U.S. for so long. But institutional design can only do so much. So in our conversation, we've already kind of touched on some different examples globally. So going back to that same global perspective, can you talk about where do you see positive trends for re-imaging and strengthening democracy? And then with that, what are some of the best practices for supporting and strengthening democracy? I think for all the challenges that the pandemic has posed for democracy, and, and bear in mind that many of the challenges of democracy were there before the pandemic, of course. What the pandemic did was accelerate and magnify those challenges. But for all the challenges that we've seen during the pandemic, there are bright spots. Over the past year and a half, we've seen this extraordinary explosion of civic activism globally. I mean, in the most inhospitable places. I mean, in places like Cuba, like Belarus, like Myanmar, we've seen popular demonstrations and popular movements on the streets in over 80 countries over the past year and a half. Despite the often draconian restrictions that were put on freedom of assembly in most countries. So that tells you that civic activism is alive and kicking, and that's good news. The second piece of good news is connected to elections. When the pandemic started, elections were a big concern because we all thought correctly that the pandemic was going to dislocate electoral calendars left and right. And it did. In the early part of the pandemic, March, April, May, 
a great many countries decided to either postpone or cancel outright different elections that were scheduled. But then something remarkable happened, particularly after the, the South Korean election of April of last year. I mean, those guys did a, an amazing job holding a very good election. Political systems, parties, election management bodies learn to hold elections under very difficult conditions created by the pandemic. And then gradually you see how holding elections on schedule, even during the pandemic, became the default option. And now the proportion of elections that is being postponed or canceled is actually very, very low. So the, for the most part, the electoral component of democracy has shown remarkable resilience over the past year and a half. So I'm, I'm not ready to give up on democracy, far from it. Uh, I think uh, democracies, generally speaking, are far more resilient than, than autocrats believe. The demand for democracy continues to be strong. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednikus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu civic. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.